Welcome back to the Dare to Dream podcast. This is episode number 87, and my name is Gregory Russell Benedict. My name is Vincent Van Patten. And this is a podcast about discovering what's possible when you have the courage to follow your dreams. Today, we have the pleasure of sitting down with the founder of Civility Partners, Catherine Matice. Catherine is a strategic HR consultant who assists organizations in building positive culture through HR practices. She is passionate about employers' responsibility to create the opportunity and environment for employees to thrive. She's appeared on NPR, CNN, USA Today, and Time.com. Catherine is the author of three books, and her award-winning first book, Back Off, Your Kick-Ass Guide to Ending Bullying at Work, was hailed by international leadership guru Ken Blanchard as the most comprehensive and valuable handbook on the topic. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Thank you. It's always weird to hear someone read your all the stuff you've done, but thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there anything in this very accomplished list that I left out that you would like to share with the audience? Oh, yes. I've also <laughs> climbed Mount Kil No, I'm just kidding. No, that was, great. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> so just a little bit of context for the audience here. We met at a networking event and I was just really struck by your story of how you started everything, how there were certain people in your life who said you shouldn't do that. It's not a good idea. And I think that's where we should take it first is if you could just tell us about your superhero origin story. <laughs> sure. Uh, so I had worked my way up to being the director of HR in an organization where I'd started off as the executive assistant and the company was growing while I was there and everything and kind of worked into this role. And the whole time I worked there, which was only about five years, um, this other director who was my peer, I felt like was kind of a bully. He was an asshole. He was frustrating to work with. He um, definitely had a lot of turnover in his office or in his department. He kind of yelled. I thought he was insubordinate to the president even. And he he liked to kind of hang on to things so he could have control over them. And it was pretty frustrating. And I witnessed firsthand how damaging this was for the organization in terms of the amount of time I spent dealing with it the amount of time I spent dealing with the turnover and hiring new people who left, the amount of time I spent counseling people. Um, but then I also personally felt bullied and picked on. I was definitely one of his targets. So I was also experiencing firsthand the damage it, it causes a person. Um, and even today, just side note, um, when I think about the things that he did and the stories I've heard over my career, it wasn't that bad. And I was really bothered. So I can only imagine the kind of damage it causes, you know, people who have more extraordinary stories than I do. Um, but I started getting my master's degree while I was working there in organizational communication. And my very first semester, I had two classes. One was ethnography, which is a research method focused on, you know, kind of studying your environment. Um, and the other class was called the dark side of communication, which was about domestic violence, sibling rivalry, uh, you know, the the dark side of human interaction. And uh, I had to write a paper in both classes, of course. So I thought, well, I could write about this guy at work for ethnography and that fits under the dark side too. So I could kind of, you know, it's just what would make this most simple for me. Um, and it was during writing those two papers during that semester, I came across the phrase workplace bullying in the academic literature and realized that there's about 40 years of academic research on this topic from around the world. The US is very far behind in addressing it. Um, and it just went from there. So literally every class I had, my thesis, everything I did in grad school was about workplace bullying. So I, I joke, I have a master's degree in workplace bullying, kind of literally. Um, and then Pretty quickly out of grad school, I wrote a book, that book back off, which I just had all this stuff rolling around in my head and felt compelled to get it on paper and um, started Civility Partners. And I just figured I could see on through this academic research that there was really a problem around this and that there wasn't really a lot of good solutions. Um, and so Civility Partners was born. <laughs> 
Amazing. <clears throat> and I think what really stood out from the beginning of your journey when you told it at the networking event was how there were certain people in your life that you took the idea to in its infancy and asked, hey, what do you think of this? Should I do it? And they straight up told you no. Yeah, literally everybody, every single person <laughs> told me not to do that. Um, so this, it was a new phrase, workplace bullying. It's much more common now to use that phrase. Um, but back then that would have been, gosh, 2007, 2008, that it, people were kind of like, what does that even mean? I don't, I don't know what that is. And so I don't think you should do that. So they were really leaning on their own experiences with the world um, that they had never heard that term. So my training and consulting friends were telling me, why don't you be a leadership coach or get in that space? Or um, you could do communications training, you know, inter interpersonal skills. Um, so why don't you kind of do that more global generic version? And I just was like, no, I, this is a problem and this is what I want to solve. Um, and some of those people are still my very good friends today and have complimented me over the years that I didn't listen to them. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how people kind of take their own knowledge about the world and say, well, that doesn't resonate with me, so you shouldn't do it. Um, and I'm like, there's 40 years of research on this. It is a problem. And I do want to try to solve it. What so. do you think it was like, what truly compelled you to kind of embark on this journey? Um, was it, I mean, you said you had a little bit of experience yourself with workplace bullying, mm -hmm. but like, why give your life to this? That's a good question. I think part of the answer is a little bit of, it was an accident. And then part of it is I'm very passionate. So the day that I started Civility Partners, I can tell you exactly what happened. So after I left that organization, I got a new job at a tech firm who had just gotten, you know, millions of dollars in investment um, from somebody. And so they were going to be growing and, you know, had kind of been scotch taping themselves together. But now that they had all this money, they were going to do it right. I was going to be their HR person, hire in people and kind of set up this HR department. Um, and it at, right at the beginning of 2009, so I was still thinking about being a consultant and possibly, you know, centering that around bullying. Um, but then in, at the very beginning of 2009 with the recession, the, uh, I remember going to work that day and none of the tech people were there. It was all of us extra people. And I just remember the boss said, the recessions hit, the um, investor pulled out, pulled back on some of the money. So this is a tech firm. So if you're not in tech, we got to let you go. <laughs> and so we all turned in our laptops and drove home. Um, and I guess I need to mention the first part. I got fired from that job where the bully was. And so now it was like, I had a job where I'd been fired. We can talk more about that. And then I had a job where I was laid off. And I literally drove home from that job thinking corporate life is not for me. I clearly I can't survive in it. I'm just going to do my own thing. And I walked in the door. I op opened my laptop, bought a website and started kind of making a company on the website. Um, and so it was like just to see, could that even be something? And the more I got in there and started thinking about what would my services be? How would this look? What's my messaging? It just became more and more real. Um, I had that website done in probably two days. And my first client found me online via that website. You know, So it was um, a little bit of just the universe pushing me. Um, and I'm very passionate about it. Having been through what I've been through, um, work is a big part of who we are and our self-concept and our self-esteem. So we have to feel good there. Um, mm -hmm. I can't, it's hard to watch and see the things that happen. You know, we got to treat each other better. So for sure. And I think something's really cool about that is you and what we, you know, love about on to talk about on the show is really following your curiosity. Like you saw a problem and it sounds like you were genuinely interested in solving it and pursuing it and you just don't know where that will take you when you follow your curiosity and you know some people will not be interested in what you're interested in um you know a lot of people will doubt your dreams and but when you say like this is something that i actually care about and you go forth with it you just don't know what is going to happen and clearly 
you created a business out of it are successful. And so that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I think passion is the, the big key, right? As long as you're mm -hmm. passionate about it, that's going to come through in everything you're doing. So. And just continue just to take like, you know, take it step by step. You are curious about something, take that first step to just investigate a little bit. And I'm sure, did you have like, at that point, did you know it was going to turn into this, you know, your life's kind of mission at this point or you're just, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. So once I got my master's degree, I, which kind of happened right before being laid off. And so that was kind of the other piece, right. That it was like, I I'm done with school. I can kind of do whatever I want now that I'm being laid off. Um, and so it was just, let me see what happens. And then I started getting teaching jobs. So I taught because I had a master's, I could teach, you know, at community colleges and things. So I started off teaching college and building this business. And then I just kept getting more business. And eventually I let go of teaching college, which was good because I decided that was a hard job. I was not, I'm glad I'm not a career college professor. It was a tough job, but, um, so yeah, it was just like over time it kept building and building. And then I could let go of that. Uh, and then I hired a business coach and continued to build and just kind of kept going and mm -hmm. that's where I'm at. And I'm going to keep going. I got some revenue goals on, on, you know, on tap that I'm focused on meeting. So I'll just keep going going back to that scene where you walk in and the tech people aren't there and you get laid off. I'm picturing you, you're driving home, you walk in, you open your laptop, you start building your website. And like the next day you get your first client. And then from there, it's just like, this is what I do now. This is my company. But how long did it realistically take? You were mentioning that you were teaching classes mm -hmm. and you slowly phased out of that. What was that timeline like? Ooh, um, 2000. Well, I, so I taught at National University for 10 years. So that was from 2008 to 2018. So it wasn't all that long ago. Um, that was my last place. I, for a while there, I was teaching at sometimes five universities at a time and doing the client work. So there were times where I had six jobs basically, um, but never let go of the civility partners piece. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it took a while. Um, and even that was a little bit of a kick in the pants, kind of like being laid off. So really the driver of that was um, another uh, uh, community college that I was teaching at. The guy who scheduled my classes was always really great to uh, book me three classes in a row so I could drive down there. It was like 30 minutes, teach these three classes and drive back as opposed to you know, driving there separately three different times during the week or whatever. Um, and he called one day and just said, we hired a full-time professor. So the, the adjunct part-time stuff is pretty slim. I can only give you one class. Do you still want to teach? And I was just kind of like, no, I, I really don't. Um, and so I quit teaching altogether and there you go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, I think sometimes things, happen for a reason. And if you're paying attention, you know, opportunity knocks probably all the time. You just got to believe in yourself and believe that that's the opportunity. Yeah. And that's, that's also what stands out to me from you getting laid off and starting the company is that things externally out of your control were happening, but you were also ready to go. You had this idea and you had the courage and tenacity to say, I'm going to do this thing, even though other people are telling me it's not a good idea. Yeah, thank you. I, and you know, I got to credit that too. There was one person who became my mentor who did believe in me and she actually came up with the name Civility Partners. So um, through ATD where we had met, um, they have a mentor protege program and they do this kind of speed dating event where all the mentors and protégés get a couple minutes with each other. And every single mentor I met said, no, you shouldn't do that. And then this one glimmer of hope, Karen Garman is her name. Hi, Karen. Um, she has a degree in positive psychology. And so she understood where I was going with it. And um, so we were like, we have to be together. Um, and so thank goodness for her, right? Because she was a big, you got this, you can do that. And let's figure out a name for your company. And um, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> when was like the first uh kind of moment or just 
first thing that made it feel like it's like a real brand that's a real company was it um you know when you had your first client or was it when you saw the website up and and running or what was just that what did that feel like you know i think there's some imposter syndrome because even now i'm kind of like is this really happening are we a yeah. real company and sometimes <laughs> i joke with my team you know we'll do something that feels very official and it's like it's like we're a real company now and they're always yeah. like we we are and have been for quite a while um so i don't know if i'll ever say oh you know it's real um but i don't know probably after teaching you know when i decided to just give that up and really focus on civility partners um that would be you know a big moment and i i would say too i don't mind sharing this my first the the last year i had both civility partners and teaching my own revenue was eighty thousand dollars um, once I gave up teaching the very next year, Civility Partners on its own made $80,000. So I would say that's probably a big moment too, to say, well, look, I let that go and the income made itself up and we are way past that now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like, wow, this is, I don't need the teaching. It had become a crutch um, to have that income, you know, but mm -hmm. I didn't need it. Yeah. Something I'm definitely interested in is how has it changed with COVID? And people not, you know, are they in the workplace as much? I'm not, I'm not sure too much about how things have stalled or whatever is happening, but um, anything you could say about that? Yeah, you know, COVID's actually made things worse because the more burnt out we are, the less tolerance we have for our annoying co coworker or the amount of work we're being expected to do. And so our, you know, the less energy we have, the, the less ability we have to kind of self-monitor our politeness or civility. And so it has gotten worse, I think. Um, and I can tell you, I've read a ton of research that the great resignation is ultimately a result of bad work environments. So um, it's, yeah. I, and also COVID helped people realize that they didn't need to stick it to that job. They could get another job. And in fact, the job market opened because now they could get a job in some other state. Um, without having to move, you know, so it, um, a lot of good things uh, were shown during COVID in terms of the employer-employee relationship. So um, organizations are very interested in culture, probably more so than I've seen before right now. Very cool. Is yeah. it, is it like, um, just kind of, like, I, during this time, are you, say you, like, help people in the workplace that they're that they're in so say like if somebody feels like they're being bullied in their workplace are you helping them to figure out how to solve and work with that situation or do you also help people say like coach them and say maybe this isn't the right place for you and how do you get out of that into a better work environment yeah so i actually don't work with people being bullied other than through the organization so i'm a management yeah. consultant so um we do consulting where we're doing workforce surveys and then we present that data to leaders to say this is how your organization's culture is perceived um, and let us help you change it and so then we end up working with them to craft and implement changes um, we also specialize in executive coaching for leaders who engage in bullying behavior they've often you know on the heels of a investigation because they were accused of a hostile work environment um, and so we're helping the, the person accused of bullying more so than the people who are at the receiving end. Uh, and then we also do a lot of training programs around, you know, various topics related to respectful, positive work environments. Um, but sometimes I do get calls from people who found me online and are looking for my advice because they feel bullied. And my advice is always if the organization's not helping you and hearing your cries, then quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be tough. I mean, sure, <laughs> especially during this time. And like how I mean, a couple of things come up. Just how to like if you are being bullied in the workplace, I guess this is kind of where my head's just at right now. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of deal with just that that energy of being in a place where it actually feels like you are not being heard and you're actually being taken advantage of? And I mean. I mean, not this is a question, but just kind of that sounds like it's definitely a tough thing. And do you, are people seeing it like virtually too in this in this time that we're in? Yeah, 
For sure, for sure. In fact, I think you can hide behind virtual more because if I'm a yeller and I used to yell in the hallway and people could hear me, now I can yell over Zoom and nobody else hears me except for you two, right? So it's, um, you can kind of hide behind it. Um, yeah, the, the advice I always give is you have to stand your ground on your dignity, just like in relationships and dating and friendships and family that you have to have boundaries. And if someone continues to cross them, uh, and make you feel, you know, devalued or that they're chipping away at your self-esteem. And if your organization isn't willing to step in when you ask for their help, then all they're saying to you is kick rocks. We don't care that that's mm -hmm. how you feel. And who, why would you want to stay in a place like that? Um, you got to go. Um, but for whatever reason, a reason I will never understand, I think I, I don't, I don't get it, but, and I did it too. People stay because they feel like they want to win. They feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. They feel like if I just do this or just do that, it will be different. Um, so, you know, that's my advice is to really just kind of do an audit of what's happening around you. And if the organization's not helping you, you got to go. Go mm -hmm. somewhere where they do care. And there's plenty of organizations who do the think the amount of organizations that tolerate that type of type of behavior is slowly, but it's dwindling. <laughs> mm -hmm. What is coming to mind for me is that word tolerate and mm -hmm. how sometimes it's actually this whole thing called the data region. <laughs> no, you're going with this, buddy. <laughs> but he knows where I'm going. Basically oh, yeah. that if things are not that bad, they're tolerable, but they're not how you want them to be. You can actually get stuck there. It's this chasm of comfortable complacency as a podcaster we like, Chris Williamson says, whereas the person working would actually be better off if things got worse, because then it would trigger them to take action and to do something about it. That's interesting because I'll say based on my experience, there are many people, in fact, probably most of them who don't take action because it's gotten worse. So it doesn't mm. trigger. So here's an anomaly in that podcaster's um, thought process, which totally makes sense. But um, the data really shows us that people end up being fired just like I was. Um, and what, you know, where that's coming from is you're seen as the squeaky wheel compared to the person who's bullying who is often seen as very valuable and the reason people bully is they lack self-esteem and so they are clawing their way all day every day to cover that up and so they're super valuable they're rainmakers they're you know and that's why organizations allow it because it's like eh, just let them let them be you know they're, if they're not causing that much damage or the what they bring to the organization um, you know, offsets all of this stuff that's going on. Um, and so, yeah, people stick in work, even though it's um, getting worse and worse. So, and I mean, you can get PTSD from being bullied at work. Lots of, uh, I've read research that 11% of targets of bullying have suicidal ideas. I know stories of people who actually felt, you know, went through with that. So um, yeah, it's, it's all about having to take your power back and march out of that organization. Yeah, man, that's powerful. And I appreciate you pushing back on that. It makes sense that it wouldn't be applicable to everything. Yeah. Um, so what's coming up for me next is I'm a coach and I've had little experience with coaching people who don't want to be coached. Mm -hmm. And I was reading on your website, like you coach abrasive leaders. And you mentioned earlier, you're coaching people who might've just had a review that says, Hey, you're not you're not doing a good job. What mm -hmm. is that experience like working with someone who's been labeled as abrasive and obviously have some work to do, but they probably don't want to be there? Yeah. Um, so one thing is I've really learned to not take it personally. And really, I really just have to see it as leading this person to water and letting it go from there. Um, so the narrative is generally this person's been, you know, accused of a hostile work environment or, somebody quit who's also important. So the organization is all of a sudden interested in change, um, you know, or a lawyer came in and told the CEO, you've got to make change. So there's some catalyst that causes the organization to say, ooh, okay, we have to put a stop to that behavior, but we hope that they'll stay because we need, 
whatever it is they bring. Um, and so I coach the CEO to have a conversation with this individual to essentially say, I've made a mistake in allowing this to go on um, and you've made a mistake in doing it. So together, let's fix it. Um, you know, I, I want to see you change. And so I found a resource for you, a coach who specializes in this. Um, I do have to put a consequence in place. So you recognize how important it is, but that's just there to tell, send the message that it's important. I really don't want to have to engage in that um, consequence. Um, and so that's kind of the first part where the CEO is presenting coaching as more of a gift. I'm not a consequence or a punishment. I'm here to help. Um, and then from there, when I meet the coaching client for the first time, I um, essentially say, I don't know what what's going on here other than what HR's told me. And that's probably all you know. So why don't we figure out together what's going on here and what they really want us to focus on? Let me interview some people. Um, so then I interview roughly 15 people and I just ask the question, tell me about this person's strengths and weaknesses. So it's not an investigation. Um, and so I'm really operating in perceptions. Uh, and then I move all my interview notes into themes. And then I read that document to them. And that's a tough call to have, a tough Zoom call. Um, but that's where the light bulb comes on. So most of the time, these people had no idea about the impact. And they knew they were frustrating for people. They knew there was that one time that someone cried, but it wasn't my fault. I didn't, you know, she's just sensitive kind of a, an attitude. But when they see it all in black and white, it's not just HR telling you to be nicer, that there's literally a theme that you shame people in public. And here's the words of the people, you know, here's 20 bullet points. Um, that is the pinnacle moment. And most of the time they're kind of like, oh my gosh, help me. Sometimes they fight me on that feedback. And those are the ones I can't help. So I have plenty of times after a couple coaching sessions, it's just clear they don't buy into the feedback. Then it's like, I, I can't coach you. So good luck. I hope you don't, that consequence doesn't end up, you know, for your sake, but because um, then it demonstrates they don't have empathy, right? If they don't care, that's how they're perceived, then that's a real problem. <laughs> yeah. So it's teeing up the whole coaching engagement with a conversation from the CEO and mm -hmm. then the themes bringing forth the thematic elements are really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Show them sure. that it's more than, hey, you need to be nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's really holding up a mirror. Um, and then, you know, the perception thing is great. And so HR is usually who's contacting me. HR is really operating in facts all the time, right? They do investigations. Did you do that or not? I don't care about that stuff. And so that's, it helps because when they deny, I don't shame people or, oh, I, a lot of times they'll go, oh, I know what meeting they're talking about. I didn't do that. Um, my response is, well, I interviewed 15 people with your permission and all 15 of them have this theme that you're perceived as shaming. So I don't know if you shame or not, but we can see in the feedback that people perceive that you do that. So we need to figure out how to change the perception um, by changing your behavior. So it, it really serves me to not operate in facts. And then do you like follow up and, you know, say it goes well, do you revisit the file and see how things are going in the workplace after? Yeah. So I actually re-interview everyone after about four months of coaching. And that's really cool because most of the time they've made quite a bit of change. Um, and, and when we do those follow-ups, you know, people are pretty thankful. So those are fun mm -hmm. calls to have where people are saying, you know, my life is so much better because that person's doing things differently. Um, so those are cool. And then, yeah, sometimes I have coaching clients follow up later. Sometimes they want to keep working with me after the kind of official program is over. Um, I had a woman after about a year, she reached out. She said her team told her she was falling off the bandwagon and she <laughs> needed to get back into coaching, which was great because it means her team felt comfortable enough to say that to her versus before they were afraid of her, you know, so um, I'm, it's easy to get an old habit. So I'm happy to continue to coach if they want. Um, but the, and that's the thing too, is the organization has to hold them accountable. So that's a big, you know, my coaching is probably more of a partnership with the organization than most, 
um, where in fact, part of the coaching is about halfway through, we have a meeting with the CEO and the client and me um, to kind of talk about where we're at. What has this person learned? What's the CEO seeing that's different? What do they still need to work on? So it's like, let's stop pretending it's not happening, happening and treating this as an elephant in the room. We're going to talk about it and where you're at. Um, and then as I exit, you know, coaching, it's like, it's on you now organization. If they start to go back into the old ways, you've got to step in and say, don't do that. Um, that consequence still stands. So it's up to them, up to the organization. Mm -hmm. Here's a big question. I'll just lob into the space. Do it. And it's what are some unexpected life lessons you've learned across this journey you've been on? Hmm. Um, one is to get comfortable being uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable almost every single day because I'm like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> um, I know what I'm doing when it comes to organizations uh, and helping them in terms of running a business. It, you know, I'm figuring it out as I go. Um, and, you know, clients often present us with challenges we've not seen before, and we just got to lean into them. For example, we have a restaurant group right now where there was an affair between uh, two people who work there, both married, um, all sorts of stuff coming up. I've never worked with an organization to solve the problem of building trust after an affair, but I'm going to figure it out with one of my team members. So, um, that's a big life lesson, I think. Um, another is just the idea of resilience. And for me, um, that word really is defined by kind of setting action steps for yourself and then achieving them. And I, that's really what resilience is, right? That um, you might have a big lofty goal or you might be going through something hard, like a divorce or somebody died or, you know, whatever your challenge or adversity is, um, all you can really do is plot out tomorrow, I'm going to do this. And then the next day I'm going to do this. And little by little, you'll climb out of that hole that you're in. Um, and that's been a big, a big piece too. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's like paralysis by analysis, or you're so overwhelmed that you can't see straight. Um, but you got to figure it out. Um, a third lesson that I really live by is delegate the shit out of everything. So I am a master delegator. I know what my strengths are. I recognize that if I say I'm going to do something by Friday and it's getting close to Friday and I haven't done it, I need to delegate it out or make it known. I haven't done it. I'm not on track and someone will take it up. Um, and so that's a big piece too, is just delegating. And there's people with all sorts of strengths that you don't have so lean on those people. Um, and I think that's something that's really great at Civility Partners. We, we're small. We just hired our seventh person. Um, but so we're small enough where it's like, we really know what each person does well. And we are easy to kind of like, well, you do that because that's what you do. And then I'll pick it up when it gets to the part where my strength is needed. Um, so I feel like we really do that here, really lean on each other's strengths. That was a beautiful answer. I feel like you had yeah. that pre-packaged, get uncomfortable, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, build resilience and delegate. Yes. You can just mic drop right there. <laughs> <laughs> this is done. I'm exiting. No. It's a um, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. What I like is like the whole concept of learning as you go. One of our favorite quotes is you accrue incremental wisdom as you implement your flawed plan. And I feel like so much of the trepidation of starting a business, of following your dreams, of starting anything new is the fact that you have to have it perf perfectly laid out before you embark on that thing. Mm -hmm. And I guess just what can you say to inspire people to, to take a leap of faith and go for it, whatever it is? Yeah. You know, um, a couple of things. There's a book that I wish the title I could recall. I'll have to find it and send it to you so you can put it in the notes. Um, I remember reading this, I did, I've read a lot of kind of personal development stuff, especially as I was building. I spent a lot of time doing that at the front of building civility partners. And um, there was a chapter in there about how exceptional people put all their eggs in one basket and they go for it. Um, and for whatever reason, that really stuck with me. And probably because at the time people were telling me I can't have a business around bullying. But um, if you're 
if you're waiting for the plan to be perfectly crafted, I think that means you don't fully believe in the plan. And so I think you've got to really step back and ask yourself what it's not the plan not being in place that's holding you back. It's you. Um, and if you don't believe in the plan or what you're trying to sell or create with your company, nobody else is going to believe in it. Um, so you got to kind of just blindly lead sometimes in order to get people to follow you. Not all the time. You know, you got to have a vision and all of that at some point. Um, but I, that's my advice. If, if you're having some trepidation, it means you don't fully believe in the plan uh, or whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. And you got to dig into that first because you got, in order to have followers and customers, you got to believe in it. Mm -hmm. So would you, would you say like when you were starting out, you, you fully believed in yourself and your plan or did you have, I'm sure you had self-doubt and, you know, questioned as much as we do. <laughs> yeah. You know, it circles back to the resilience thing though, because with every little step that I made, like that first website I made, no, did I think I was going to be a multi-bazillionaire with this idea I had? No. I mean, that's my goal still, but, um, you know, it's like, could I create a business around this and creating a website made me see that I could, Hey, my website looks similar to other consulting companies out there. So, okay, this, this is valid. Um, okay, well, I'm going to start writing a book just because I have a bunch of stuff in my head. Um, okay, I'm getting through that pretty quickly. That's valid. So it it goes back to those little baby steps that, um, and that's that's why they're so important because with each step that you make and it you do well in it, then you're gonna have a little more faith that it's mm -hmm. gonna work. So you know, and I I do recognize I was able to teach college while I was starting a business, I was single. I didn't have a family. I lived in ocean beach here in San Diego. And I paid like 500 bucks a month in rent, um, versus somebody who might be thinking of starting a business who already has a family and owns a home. I recognize it's a very different scenario. Um, and I can't, I feel like maybe I can't necessarily speak to that scenario, but, um, yeah, I, I constantly am like, look, look at what we did. Um, you know, and it's a, it's a celebration. So for sure. I love that. It's like the concept of having the idea, like having something to aim at big idea, but taking it with it, with whatever it is, like I'm a writer, you know, Greg is doing the plethora of things that he does, writer, <laughs> life coach and everything. And, but it's like giving yourself the credit to celebrate the small wins every day of just, I did a little bit more, like, you know, sow the seed and just water it a little bit every single day. And sooner or later it's 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 gonna blossom <laughs> yeah well and that's something too that you just said i um i have noticed a lot of times i get clients who saw me speak at a conference three years ago you know and so it's uh or the, and so then they've been following me kind of ever since so yeah a, a lot of seed planting all the time every day I always joke always be hustling you know you never know who you could meet anywhere at any time who could help you in some way not in a manipulative note, but you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. kind of like, well, who do you know? And if I hear any kind of little ding, they know someone who works at some big company that I want to get into. Tell me more about that person's job, you know, and you just curiosity, like you said, um, mm -hmm. and sometimes nothing comes of it. Sometimes it does, but it's, uh, yeah, just always planting seeds wherever you go mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I think just being open to experiences, to people, and when you kind of give yourself permission and, uh, you know, the self-belief and the courage that I want to go forth with this thing, you just can't expect what's going to happen when you just remain open to the universe, putting the right things in front of you. Yeah. You know, I think too, um, recognizing that people want to help. And I was just, for whatever reason, was just thinking it, it was probably my second or third client. I got by sitting at a bar waiting for my friend. I was at a restaurant sitting at the bar waiting for my girlfriend to show up. And the guy next to me started chatting with me. Um, and I told him what I was up to. And um, at the time it was a little off from what I was focusing on, but I just had gotten out of HR. They were going to be laying people off and they were wanting to give those people a resume builder as you know as part of the kind of severance that we're laying you off and we're going to give you a, a resume expert to help you build your resume for your next job 
Um, and so he hired me because I was passionate and probably bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. So I think people get excited for you. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he gave me a shot. So resume writing isn't what I was trying to build, but it, hey, it was money and it was a client. Now I could put them on my list of clients that was only two or three. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, be open. You never know who you might be sitting next to. <laughs> for sure. That's really resonating with me because it's really easy for me to look at the grand vision of what I want to do. And if something comes along, that's not exactly aligned with it, I'll be like, Oh, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing you say is that sometimes uh, there's some famous saying about this, but sometimes like the opportunity comes disguised a little bit. It's not quite right, but you say yes to that, which allows you to meet this person, which allows you to meet that person. And it all just kind of weaves together beautifully. Yeah, for sure. In fact, those resumes I wrote, I had clients write, I was writing resumes for long after that because they were telling people and like two years later, someone said you wrote their resume, can you help? So it was kind of funny how that trickled along for a while. Um, yeah, go keep your options open. Mm -hmm. It can be tough sometimes too to like be vulnerable and saying that I, you know, don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but and even with like telling people, you know, some I guess there's two camps to this. The one one is to show your work, tell everybody what you're doing. So it kind of um, makes you accountable for it. And another one, which, I mean, I don't know if either is right or wrong, but kind of keep things to yourself and don't let everybody kind of in on your your plans because then there might be, you know, there's going to be doubters along the way. And I don't know if there's, yeah, not an answer to that, but I think it, I mean, comes down just to being genuine in your pursuit if it is something that you believe in and you want to share with people I guess that's enough of a reason to yeah and then <laughs> the people who say no don't do that you just don't talk to them about it anymore you know right. and then you go and find the people I did a lot of informative interviews when I started so just anybody around you know at ATD or my professional association well that person's a coach and they were just talking about someone at Qualcomm that they're working with how do I let me interview them and find out how in the world did they get Qualcomm mm -hmm. um you know like they have big a big client or they're doing this and I want to do that and then through that you can kind of figure out you know your niche and what people will buy into or not and you get a ton of advice some of which you take some of which you don't um and yeah I think being genuine I think I've always just been very like here's what I want to get to, you know, with that guy. I was like, I'm trying to build a business. Well, here, have a check. You can write the resumes for some people. Mm -hmm. um, and even now, not in all my circles, obviously, but I'm pretty open in the appropriate places about my revenue goals and things. Cause it's very like, I'm trying to get there. And I think people appreciate that, that it's mm -hmm. just, I'm not trying to pretend that I'm a multi-billion dollar consulting firm, you know, with global clients and stuff. It's just, this is what we're doing. <laughs> what do you so you know of course monetary is a part of what you know inspires you but what is really what motivates you to continue with this and inspires you to give it everything you have yeah one is definitely just really wanting people to feel good at work it, it is a big part of what we do and so many people don't like their job and I feel like I have some secret sauce to offer to help organizations fix that problem um, and so I'll always be passionate about giving there. Um, and then, you know, part of it too, who was it? Um, is it Steve Madsen from sport from football? He said, I never work a day in my life. Um, and he was just really referring to the fact that he loved what he did. It never felt like work. And um, I feel that way about civility partners. So that's part of it too, is just, I enjoy being here. And in fact, I'm going through some tough times. We've all been through COVID. I'm going through a divorce. And my therapist, I'll openly say I see one. Um, she noted she's commented several times that when I talk about civility partners, that's the one place where I really light up um, compared to talking about other things. So um, part of it's my own, just I want to be happy at work too. Mm -hmm. um, and this this company allows me to live a pretty great life. I can, I'm gonna go pick up my kids after this, and you know, I can set my hours to a certain extent. I have a team and clients relying on me, but the, I don't work on the weekends ever. Um, I have a very clear work-life balance and so does my team. And so that's all part of it too. Just 
you know, some of it's like, I want to see if I can build a company with an amazing culture just to see if I can, because Mm -hmm. that's what I preach. Like almost like, is it possible (laughs) to have the thing that I sell? Um, and so far it is, but yeah, yeah. part of it too, is like, I, or just like the revenue goal. It's not like, I want all this money. It's more like, I just want to see if I can. Um, that's part of the reason, you know, just challenging myself, um, to do it. So that's mm-hmm. part of it too. I think it's so powerful. You said, I just want to be happy at work too. And not losing that in this endeavor, this company you're building, like there's another scenario where you work yourself into the ground and you're stressed and you're not actually somewhere where you like to work. So I think it's beautiful that you've achieved that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. My dad worked so much. I almost never saw him. I definitely don't want that. And even now him and my stepmom really kind of live in that. I mean, it's the generation too. Like they work till 9 PM and they're eating dinner late at night. And they're kind of always talking about that. And it's like, yeah, we all go through those phases, but that's their life. Forget that. Especially, yeah. you know, at their age, they're obviously older than I am. That's the last thing I want to be doing at their age. So it's very like, I don't want that. Thanks for showing me that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was I was definitely curious about, you know, how, how your workplace is considering that's what the whole premise is. Um, just for, you know, just for people who are still in, I mean, not still, but people in the workplace environment, what maybe are some of the keys that go into cultivating just a positive environment that people might be able to bring to their work even? Yeah, I have a couple of tips. One is we have to constantly talk about respectful, positive, thriving work environments. They don't just happen. So even if you're not a manager or a leader and you're an individual who's just, you know, listening to this and you're an individual contributor, you can still shift at least your team by being proactive. And that's um, a big thing I see a lot where it's like, we want all, all these things. We want a good culture. We want people to live core values or what organizations are saying, but they're not really doing anything to influence those minor interactions all the time. You know, they'll do the core value awards and, you know, these kind of grandiose things, but all of that really lives, culture really lives in those little interactions all throughout the day. So as an individual contributor, you have the ability to really influence those individual interactions. So being positive yourself, um, being an ally, if you hear something that's not okay, you know, you hear an inappropriate joke or something to say, you know Hey, I, I don't know if this offended that person, but I wonder if it did something to think about, you know, you don't have to march in there finger pointing. I'm going to HR, um, but just, you know, being aware of how everybody's feeling and, and taking on the ownership and the leadership of influencing how people feel by just proactively focusing on positive work environments, everything. I mean, I have pens that say, choose kind. Um, we have, I have a note right here from my operations that says, thank you for being you. I have a card from an office mate. Like we're just constantly living, um, everything we're talking about. So our work, our office is decorated, very fun and colorful. Um, but yeah, all the, all the little things are where the difference really happens. For sure. I think it's, it can like turn into a problem when you let those little interactions just build up and then it's like, someone's got to say something big here. It's going to bring down yeah. the whole company. It's like actually looking out for your, your fellow employees and speaking up when it needs to before it becomes a problem, being proactive. That's exactly right. It's so much easier to help someone change when they're just being a little rude versus mm-hmm. the bully that is expensive to get coaching for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something we like to kind of wrap, uh, wrap it all up with. <laughs> What does success mean to you? And you could take that with your company, with life, however you see. Uh, Really, I think it would be around my kids. You know, I work hard to teach them emotional intelligence and help them understand how they're feeling and um, wanting them to be really good friends. And so, you know, so I think for me, that's really would be important to me for me to be able to look back or look at them as adults to say, I helped them be emotionally intelligent. I would, you know, how horrible would it be if my child was accused of being a bully at work? (laughs) 
So <laughs> that would be that would be really, really bad. So um, giving them the tools to be uh, good communicators is really important to me. So that I would say that's success. Um, and then also with my company culture, I use that same comment with my culture. I would be mortified if my company or the people who work here didn't like to be here or felt that I was a bully or not living the things that I talk about. So I guess mm -hmm. success is to not be a, what's the word um, that I'm looking for? Not to be a hypocrite. That's success. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. And I'm sitting with how you described your parents and seeing them work so much. I'm wondering how your kids having a mom that loves what she does is great at it and is happy and passionate. What what kind of an impact is that going to have on them? I think it'll have a big impact. I think they can see what's possible that you don't have to hate your job, that um, you can cre create your own journey and your own path. Um, you know, definitely uh, read to my daughter a lot about people like Harriet Tubman or, um, you know, people who have really accomplished things or women who have been told no and did it anyway. That's kind of the theme lately I've noticed in some of our stories. So especially as a female for my daughter to really um, thrive in her work life and continue to fix this problem of gender inequity and other types of inequities. And then, you know, same for my son that he um, is one of the good guys and a feminist. We just talked about what feminist means the other day. So I don't know if it was way <laughs> over their head, but you know, how do you explain feminism to a three-year-old? I don't know if I did a good job. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So yeah, I think, I do think it will resonate with them. I hope. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think three years old might be a little too young for this, but at some point you can have them watch <laughs> Emma Watson's UN address about the he for she movement is phenomenal about Ooh. explaining feminism to men. I'll check that out. I, I'll have to look it up myself. Thanks That's for the great. tip. Yeah. Awesome. Well played. Well played. <laughs> Just slide that in there. <laughs> yeah, well, wow. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on today. I mean, you're you're so passionate about what you do. It shows and that fires us up because we're constantly trying to interview and meet people and surround ourselves with people who love what they do and are living this awesome story as they go through it. I love that you're doing that. They, what do they say? You're the average of the five people you hang out with the most often. So um, I would say, I hope to be the bottom of that average. So that <laughs> means I've got room to grow. <laughs> um, so that's awesome that you're doing it. I bet you two are going to change the world with your podcast. Hey, thank you so much. It's been yeah, awesome to learn about you and your company and doing such great things. And hopefully we're in the right direction, headed in the right direction, which I think we are. So yeah. well, thank you for being a part of that. Thank you. One last question. Where can people go to learn more about you, about Civility Partners and everything that you're up to? Yep. So our website is civilitypartners.com. Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a ton of courses on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me there. Send me a carrier pigeon or a fax. Just kidding. I don't have a fax. <laughs> um, but if you Google me, there's pages of resources. Um, but yeah, civilitypartners.com is the best place to find me. Amazing. Well, thanks again, Catherine. And thank you to everyone who's tuning in with us today. We love you guys.